Welcome to the Highfalutin Podcast. The Highfalutin Podcast is a conversational exploration into the topics of the day framed around a theme chosen in advance by your hosts, Monica Schrager, Ryan Norsworthy, and me, Matt McCarthy. The theme of the eighth episode of the Highfalutin Podcast is healing. Hello, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Highfalutin Podcast. The theme we chose to explore this episode is healing. Personally, I uh, chose this, or I like this uh, theme because our last episode, Shift, we spoke about the positivity and the results of the election uh, that happened last month. Um, But I came away from the election not feeling as positive as maybe others did. And so I started to think about what's What's your next move? Obviously, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of division in our country. And because of that, I've started to wonder how I could cure my despair for there's so much, there's so much division. And so what happened was is I came across a story on the news that addressed the issue by applying therapy, almost like uh, couples therapy or family therapy. And there was a gentleman uh, by the name of Bill Doherty of the University of Minnesota that had applied therapy. And his thing was saying that polarization is the enemy, not your opposition. And so at the end of the story, they um, asked uh, all the participants what was their responsibility or what was their um, role and division. And everybody really struggled with that. And I found that very interesting. And that's what I started to have some introspection and wonder what I had done in my part in the division. And so I wanted to pose a question to yourselves. How do you guys, are you able to take responsibility when you think about the divisions politically, racially? No, Ryan, it's not my fault. <laughs> no, that's a, it's such an interesting question. The, uh, I, uh, I mean, everybody has some personal responsibility in it and, uh, that's an interesting angle to take on it. I mean, uh, and, you know, I think we lose sight of the fact that like what unites us in this country is, is much greater than what divides us, you know, and it's, it's, but what divides us is what sells and what's on the news and what, what is constantly being, um, what we're constantly being barrage, barraged with. Um, from every angle, from social media, from television, from, you know, conversation with friends. And, and I don't, you know, that's an interesting point to try to turn that inward and say, what can I do to, to de-escalate this and to try to, um, and, and I guess it, it comes down to like, you know, reaching out to people who have, who are part of what you consider the opposition and trying to find that common ground. And, and I probably haven't done enough of that in the past. And that's maybe something that I can work harder on moving forward. Yeah, for me there, I think has been an elevated awareness of privilege, you know, over the last, I think, you know, six months to a year. I think I was aware of it, or maybe even not, you know, didn't think much about it. And I think there's been definitely more awareness and more education. You know, I, um, I actually co-lead um, Earth Force at work, which is the uh, 
earth-oriented um, sustainable and employee awareness or employee resource group. And we partnered a couple times with Bold Force, which is the Black Organization for Leadership Development group in Chicago to do, um, we just did an environmental racism book club, actually, because there's a great book all about the impacts of environmental racism. We've also done some volunteering together in the Bronzeville neighborhood of Chicago, um, which is kind of being built up. So I think, you know, how I'm trying to address it is by more awareness, you know, and more experience, hands-on volunteering and even donating, you know, there's, there's a great restaurant in my neighborhood, Taqueria, um, which created like a bunch of meals um, for people around Thanksgiving, you know, they posted on our neighborhood group and we're like, if anyone needs a family meal, you know, or an individual meal, let us know. And I contributed funding to that one and they're doing it again Christmas and I'm actually going to volunteer in person to help them put that together. And I'm bringing, you know, Lincoln and Steve, you know, as well. So it's just, how can I, how can I contribute and help more both from a exposure and awareness and hands-on experience as well as monetarily, which I, you know, have the ability to do. I think there's also this, this thing that happens nowadays where like, you know, people do something on social media and they think that that's meaningful, you know, and like, that's not, that's not real life. Right. I mean, that's virtual. And like, you know, it's um, the messaging you put out is, is impactful, but it's, you know, saying like you're against something on social media, like, what does that really accomplish? You know, or like saying you stand for something on social media, like, what is that? You know, it's, it's great, but it doesn't really, it's not the same as like going out there and, and action, you know, and taking action like you're doing Monica. And that's, that's great. I admire that. I do as well. And I think I'm very guilty of uh, the, what Matt is speaking of and thinking that having any kind of real effect. But what it does is just kind of reverb around your friends and that classic, um, oh, what do they call it, uh, echo chamber where, uh, yeah, everybody's just like kind of agreeing with one another and you, you feel uh, vindicated. Information bubbles now, you know, like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I have been trying to, you know, if you remember in the last episode, I mentioned, you know, what Dave Chappelle said at that opener of SNL and that there are, you know, half the population or the people who voted for Trump are right. feeling really, you know, angry and upset. And I, I'm trying to, I do at some points, and I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but trying to understand the origin of that, you know, and I do think a lot of it comes down to education. And we've talked about this before, you know, um, education and exposure and that results in sort of some fear and offensiveness and you know the divide you've been hearing is is starting to be more like cities and rural environments you know and those rural rural environments you know understandably probably don't have as much exposure to the culture and diversity that we do in the city and I'm really glad that I have that exposure but I'm trying to think like how can we get that exposure to these environments that don't have it well, and that's kind of what the whole experiment is about, because it's very difficult for me, especially as an Afro-American, to like look at the other side and say, what's their take on this? And, you know, for me, like one of the tenets of, of, of for lack of better words, uh, for Trump is that he's a racist. So it's just like if you support that and you vote for that, even if it's just like his economic policies, how do you get past the fact that he's racist? So it's just like, how do I, how do I start this conversation where it's just like, you're kind of for somebody that's not for me at all. Yeah. I had an interesting conversation with my stepmom actually, who pointed out that I think people weren't 
people who voted for him were not voting for him in his entirety. It was maybe elderly people who were worried about their pensions or their savings, or maybe it was it was specific <clears throat> little things, like maybe there was some financial aspect to it. So people were looking past that, correct, which they shouldn't have, but they were targeting these specific needs versus voting for him as a whole person. But isn't that kind of bizarre in voting for the leader of the free world to look at something, to take it down to one issue? Totally. Well, look at the evangelicals, right? I mean, like they, you know, and I don't, and like these labels are probably not helpful, right? I mean, like when we throw around these sorts of labels, but the, um, there's a whole block of voters out there who are single issue voters uh, around abortion, right? Or around, you know, reproduction rights. And, um, how can you like, you know, and then they think that that's the moral high ground. Right. But then like, how do you justify all the immoral stuff that he's doing? Like to, you know, that pushes forward your agenda, you know, and you, and you can't, yeah, it's the single issue voting is really, it's hard to swallow, you know, and a lot of people I think are guilty of it. Yeah. I also, I also struggle with that. Cause you're right. That is something I feel very strong about women's right to choose, you know, and reproductive rights. But I struggle to understand how that is such a big focus area, you know, how people cannot get past that or let go of that, you know, and I mean, you're right, maybe if I think of myself, like I, I wouldn't like if someone said I am, you know, pro-life that obviously impacts my choice of it, but it's a so weird too, because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding on that specific issue, you know, oh, yeah. it's not just like, like this random thing, you know, it's a part of a women's right. It has impacts, you know, economically and professionally even. So, but people aren't really looking past that again. It's that one issue, like you mentioned. Yeah. Well, there's two things I'd like to say about that is uh, one in regards to that issue. It's, I don't understand. It's like, it's nobody else's business. Okay. And then uh, the other thing I'd like to say is notice how we are, are pivoting our blame. And the exercise of, that I found was interesting in this article was how, what, not what necessarily what we're doing, and Monica was awesome, but like how, what is our plate in the division? Well, so I would say, like what, what role yeah, do we no, have? That's interesting. I mean, it's, we, we really quickly pivoted to like, well, it's evangelicals and single issue voters and it's racists, right? And like that's, that's where we. Right. And the question is, like, what is your part in the problem? What is, mm-hmm. what is, what is our specific roles and the the division that continues? Well, so the thing that you were mentioning, Ryan, like I really struggled with too, right? Like the, you know, how do you separate these voters from Trump for Trump who, you know, there's a, there's a big, what, 60 million people voted for Trump, 50, 70 plus, yeah, something like that. The um, it's, startling to to think that those people are all racist and they certainly wouldn't identify most of them probably don't identify as racist themselves right like they don't think they're racist um some of them maybe do and you know and they hang their hat on that but um the you know like trump he's the least racist person in the room right like and i think he honestly believes that to some extent but obvious you know he's not he's not taking into account like other people's you know viewpoints and stuff he's not thinking about how he's viewed by other people or how his actions are impacting other people um and i think that it's incumbent upon us 
to to do that to be more empathetic and to try to understand you know well when we when we unfurl this kind of rhetoric like how, what does that do to the you know what how does that make people feel on the other side you know in quote unquote um and that you know there's just a lot of escalation and puff and chest puffing that goes on and it needs to it needs to go the other direction somehow we need to be reaching out you know trying to figure out how to move forward together rather than trying to to you know huddle up in your own little sides here and i i don't know what the answer is the division seems so deep right now that it sometimes it feels like this chasm that you're never going to be able to to reach across i had a really hard you know if you voted for trump like i had a real hard time buying that you weren't a racist and i'm trying to like I'm trying to de-escalate that thinking and, and Monica, the thing you said, right. The, that, you know, these people weren't all voting for, they weren't thinking they were racist or voting for other issues. So I guess there's some forgiveness that has to happen and there has to be some empathy and understanding that has to happen before we can move forward. Instead of thinking about, you know, what is our, our part in the problem, I think, or what is our part in the solution? And if pivoting a little bit to the news, I think, you know, Joe Biden might, help with that. Like he's been in Congress for a long time in the Senate. He's been known for these cross aisle relationships that he's had. He, out of all the people who maybe could have become president has the best chance of potentially getting things done with people like Mitch McConnell, you know, mm -hmm. versus someone who might not before. So he's, he's negotiated. He's, you know, has that experience, which I think will be helpful towards improving the situation. Goodbye. I agree. And now, highfalutin news. So, if we if we shift a little bit to news, I did want to start with politics um, and the Georgia State uh, Senate controversies. Um, one, the last day to register was recently, and then early voting is starting soon. Um, and I heard a brief interview actually on NPR with one of the organizers, um, how they got people out to register and to vote in Georgia. And it was really impressive, like the things that they done. It was really grassroots. Like they talked to people and didn't ask, like, you have family members who aren't registered? They're like, how many people in your family, what are the five, who are the five people who are not signed up to vote in your family? And people are like, oh, you know what? Yeah, my aunt should really vote, you know, my uncle. And so they got names that way and they just kind of continued along that line. So it's just really impressive. Like I know Stacey Abrams led a lot of that charge, but there were a number of other, quite honestly, black women like who, who led this and who, you know, were on the ground doing this. And it's really impressive. I find it humorous that, you know, those two Republican <laughs> Republicans are, are, you know, are in this uncomfortable situation because Trump is trying to say that, like, you know, voting, you know, was was, you know, fraudulent and the machines are fraudulent. And so as a result, people are hesitant to vote, you know, <laughs> the Republicans, at least. So I, I almost wonder if this is going to backfire and the Republicans are not going to show up because they think everything's fraudulent. The Democrats are going to turn out in amazing numbers because actually those organizers, too, are treating this like a brand new election. They're like, we're pretending November didn't even happen, you know. So they are they're just on the ground and it's really impressive everything they're doing. And I truthfully do kind of hope that the whole controversy with the Republicans backfires for them. I was reading something or watching something about that. Yeah. And then they were speculating that like 
you know, Trump may not go away, right? And then we think he'll be probably busy in the New York Circuit Court for a while. But the, uh, you know, he could run for president again in four years, right? I mean, he, he could do that. He could be the party's nominee again in four years. If they lose Georgia, I think there's going to be a lot of Republicans who are going to be awfully mad at Donald Trump, because I think just for the reason you stated, Monica, that, you know, he's he's turning people off from the process. Right. He's turning their people off from the process. And they're they're thinking that's ah, rigged. It's you know, we, it doesn't matter what I do. You know, we're, the, we're not going to win anyway. Trump said so. So uh, I'm not going to worry about it. And that. I mean, that that Senate, those two Senate races are monumental right now. I mean, that's that's the there goes the, you know, the power balance right there. And um, he is really it feels like he's really screwing it up for him for his side. I felt he did that in the general. And yeah. uh, I feel he's doing it again. And I think I've, I've said it in the last episode. If you don't if you didn't see how what a bad president he was before the election. I mean, he's pretty much shown it ever, ever since. He's not putting the nation before itself. Look at where we are with the coronavirus. I know we're gonna speak about it um, a little later, but I mean, we're at record highs. They're talking about 3000 people a day to over 10,000 in the last week. And he hasn't even addressed it. He's still arguing about an election that he clearly lost. However, I say this all because he has the support to keep fighting it. I mean, I, mean, that's, I find that outrageous. I think it's tilting at windmills at this point. Like, there's nothing, you know, he can't I win agree. a court case. I, and I would, uh, and it's I would like stoking to, the fires, right? It's stoking those rage fires. I'd like, like to believe that's the case. However, he has 17, 17 attorney generals from states not within the states that need to be flipped, arguing that they need to change the results of the will of the people. Well, I think there's a lot of Republicans out there who like see the Trump model and embrace it, right? They think that's a way to win elections with that trying to like rile up that division and like get those, the, you know, those, those suburban, those, those rural voters out. I, I think it's a very costly strategy. Like I think it really divides the nation. I, I agree. However, he's been quite successful among Republicans with it. Well, because they see because they see it working, right? They see it winning elections. It is working. Exactly. Exactly. For him, you know. Yeah. But you look at what's happening in Georgia, right? And it's not going to work in Georgia. And it didn't work there. And it takes somebody like Stacey Abrams to say, enough of this bullshit. Let's go register enough people to vote to, to change what's happening here. And like, and that's the kind of action that we're talking about. It's not getting on social media and, and puffing your chest out. It's like going and registering voters and, you know, affecting change. And like, I mean, that's how, you know, Trump's not going to win. He didn't win in Georgia. We, we might flip the Senate in Georgia, both seats. I mean, the, you know, that's incredible to me. I didn't think we'd see anything like that. Yeah, there's a great picture of uh, Stacey Abrams and um, Jimmy Carter shaking hands, which I saw, which was really great. Someone posted and people are like, I'm going to frame this, you know, and I was like, this is really awesome to see. Like, I think she should be person of the year. Like, not that that means anything, but like, you know, time does that every year. Like, I I don't think anybody's made a bigger impact than Stacey Abrams this year. Yeah. So 
Moving on, though, too, I want to talk a little bit about Biden's cabinet picks yeah. as he started to elect them. You know, he said that he wanted his administration to look like America does. And it's definitely looking that way. You know, he's electing a lot of diverse people. We have the first all-women communications staff, I believe it's the first. Um, also, you know, General Lloyd as the first Black potential defense secretary. But he needs a waiver. You know, it sounds like there is, you know, a requirement that you're supposed to be retired for seven years and he's only been retired for four years. It's the you same know? for Mattis, right? And they like they did the waiver for yeah. Mattis and yeah. now they're like, well, hold on, are we doing this every time now? Like <laughs> I know. I was digging into that. I was like, why is that? But I think it's just the duration. They worry that someone's that someone might be still buddy buddy with a lot of their com, you know, their colleagues. Well, the difference between being a civilian and yeah, uh, you know, soldiers. So it's just like you're not, you know, you so your interests are for the people versus for the military. Yeah. He's also selecting a lot of people who were involved in the Obama, you know, administration and who look like they have a lot of great experience, you know, which is very refreshing to see versus like, you know, the random picks that, you know, Trump had, such as Betsy DeVos had absolutely no education background, you know. Um, so it's just, it's really very nice to see. Yeah, I look forward to it. It, it seems uh, so much more uh, <laughs> civil, uh, disciplined and, uh, experienced i just fear and i, I don't want to keep like uh ringing this bell but i i when i hear the up the other side from what i can tell from the media is that oh this is obama second you know third term um and i i tend to think that's a good thing however there's a lot of people that don't for what it's worth yeah yeah i've heard that too and you know it's so funny the Obama is such a polarizing figure. Like he was really, I have a hard time understanding. Yeah. He wasn't that progressive. I mean, you know, like he was pretty moderate, you know, in a lot of ways, at least from my vantage point. And I'm I, sure that's going to make some of the, you know, I'm sure all the conservatives who are listening right now are clutching their pearls when I say that, you know, but uh, the, uh, I don't think there are any conservatives listening, but uh, um and you know the same with clinton right like that the republicans just hate the clintons and like they moved the party so far to the right it was almost unrecognizable when he was there uh, he did welfare reform he was the, you know the i mean it's i don't understand it i'll never understand that's kind of the that's the point is that we have to try to we have to try to because that's where we are I mean, as ridiculous as it seems to you and i or i think all of us I, and I feel the exact same way. I got into politics. The first time I was able to vote was in 1982, or excuse me, 1992. And um, my vote, for, my, vote, my first time to vote was for, and I voted for uh, Bill Clinton. When he went for re-election, I did not. Uh, I did not only not vote, I did not, well, I didn't vote for him. Um, because I didn't feel that he was living up to what he had promised. I voted every time since um, because I realized uh, that, you know, it's more than the couple issues I was concerned about and there's a platform and then there's actual governance. Well, I have great hope for the administration. I mean, obviously, like, and, you know, I mean, I agree. Geez, we wanted the, you know, Trump administration to succeed. I mean, nobody wants the, you know, country to do badly and, you know, the, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that the point you made earlier, Monica, the, you know, Biden being a uniter, right? Like that he is uniquely poised maybe for this moment in history. The, um, there hasn't been a lot of success reaching across the aisle, you know, in the last several years. Maybe he can break that trend. Maybe he's the guy. Hopefully. I agree. 
So with that, let's shift to COVID, because I think, Ryan, you made some great points earlier. The numbers are staggering, 3,000 a day. Um, it, and, but we've had some great news, like this week, you know, the first vaccine was administered to an elderly lady in England, and Pfizer's getting their approval, and it's going to go to, you know, um, healthcare workers and senior citizens and people in, in nursing homes first, which as it should be. With the vaccine though, there's concerns around distribution obviously and supply chain, which hopefully they can remedy to the point where we can get it in hopefully spring or summer. So I'd like to hope that that works out. Now we, um, the one thing too that Biden, you know, Biden said he would enact a hundred day mask mandate. He's yeah. like, it's not forever, it's just a hundred days. And I'm hoping people can, you know, get on board with that because it's been proven masks work. You know, masks work, staying where you are, social distancing. The one thing that's needed is increased testing, which still needs to be worked out. Lincoln and I, my son, were walking the other day and we we live a block away from the hospital, Norwegian, which Ryan, you you know. Um, <laughs> All too well. Yeah, and um, you know, there was a drive-through COVID testing and it was wrapped around the block and we walked actually past where they were doing the testing. And so we could see it. People drove up in their cars and like nurses all, you know, dressed up in full protective gear, like leaned into the window and did something and then quickly and then people drove away. But, you know, I think making advancements on rapid testing that people can't even do themselves because there's quite honestly, I think a majority of people who have had it probably haven't been diagnosed as having it because access to testing is tough. But also there are a lot of people who indicate being asymptomatic, you know, and then they do get tested and have it. So the fact that there's no like national testing strategy is ridiculous you know i mean and uh, uh yeah it's we there's so many things that could have been done to help mitigate this and to make those numbers you know not as bad as they are and a lot of it's, it goes back to that personal responsibility issue that you know that we're talking about right wear a mask you know don't don't go gather with a bunch of people you guys see that that graphic that's floating around about the deadliest days in american history Yes. Yeah. The first okay. deadliest day is Galveston hurricane. The second is the battle of a Needham Galveston hurricane, 8,000 Americans died in Needham 3,600, the San Francisco earthquake in 1906, 3,000 Americans, September 11th, right. It was just under 3,000 Americans. Then you get to last Thursday, COVID 2861, oh. last Wednesday, COVID 2762, last Tuesday, COVID 2461, last Friday, COVID 2439, then Pearl Harbor 2403. Like it's, oh my God. it's insane. I mean, this will be looked at is one of the biggest failings of one of the most powerful countries ever it's unbelievable it's a it's a monumental failure and uh you know the cdc just said yesterday or you know right now and for the foreseeable future covid19 is going to be the leading cause of death in the united states um and we do have a vaccine coming but you know it's going to get a lot dimmer before it gets brighter it's going to be tough holidays, you know, and, and everybody's going to... Yeah, I mean, that's tough. I mean, you know, everybody's got fatigue. Everybody's... It's been... I mean, we're, we're going to... We're talking about a full-on year of this. Yeah, I think everybody's had enough. The uh, And, the, you know, what we're hearing, the vaccines are encouraging... The one that the vaccine that I've been hearing about that we're real hopeful about is the AstraZeneca one. The uh, That one, apparently you don't have to like keep it ridiculously cold temperatures and you can do like half a dose and it's just as effective. And um, yeah. that one sounds like, you know, real promising. Um, I think once we move beyond the first one, I think things are gonna get a lot better. Yeah. And remember Dolly Parton. 
we have to thank. That's right. That's for, right. <laughs> for her million dollar contribution to Vanderbilt. You know, the one the one question I have about the vaccine is I don't know if we're going to be able to choose. Like when it comes time and becomes right. available, are we going to be able to call up our doctor and be like, I want this vaccine, you know, no, I or think. It, I don't think so. So I think we're just going to be at the whim of what healthcare provider would go to and which one they have. Yeah. I'm curious how that'll work. Well, I think they're going to dole it out based on like, like risk categories. Right. And like, so if we're in like a lower risk category, we probably won't get one until later in the summer. And by then it'll probably, you know, it could, we have, we'll have more variety. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. But I still think, I don't know if we're going to be able. No, I don't think you'll be like, it. I'd like the AstraZeneca. <laughs> Can you give me this one? Yeah. So. <laughs> Sorry. But I am I am very worried about the supply chain because they've already remember lowered the dosage numbers that they're producing and then which ones the states get the numbers kind of keep going down right now. Yeah. So I'm hoping like everyone can figure out their supply chain. But you know what I've heard too? I heard that like shark oil is like a involved in some vaccines <sighs> and so I'm like, really, we got to go kill a lot of sharks to make sure everyone gets vaccinated. Hey, better than, sounds, than us. Uh, yeah, that sounds like a conspiracy theory. I don't like that one. No. By now, does everybody know somebody who's had COVID or, you know, I mean. It's all kind of secondhand, but yeah. 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 Um, I just learned of some people that passed uh, from it. Um, oh, really? I know a colleague who, a couple of colleagues who had it, but one, she was asymptomatic. Her husband was really sick and he tested negative and she tested positive. Yeah. And she was like, she was just a little groggy, you know, for the most part, like very odd. My well, boss has it, yeah. You know what I thought this morning is, uh, I mean, Matt spoke about the other American tragedies that we've had. Did do any of us know anybody that died in 9-11? Does, does it make it any less of a tragedy? No. No, no, but it does, it does it's make it hit you in daily, a different way. It's on a daily basis. I don't, I'm not saying that for the question. I, I appreciate the question. I'm just saying, you know, it's... Um, I think a lot of times I I've heard people minimalize it by saying, well, I've never known. I don't know anybody that's got it. You know, I, I, don't, well, know I don't, I think fewer people can say that now, I guess is my point. Yeah. You know? yeah. Was, yeah. Cause there was that going on. Like, Oh, it's a conspiracy. Do you even know anybody who's had it? I don't, you know, and I, yeah. I don't think many people can say that anymore. And I'm hoping, like, unfortunately though, we still hear, st- I, my hope would be like people know someone who has it, who maybe isn't doesn't get too sick but if they were disbelievers it helps them realize the impact of it the tragedy is you're hearing these stories of people who are dying in hospitals in southern states who are still denying it they're like no this isn't covid and and nurses are like you you were dying of covid and they still are not accepting it as reality the news out of the I mean, you see Indiana, right? They're like running out of beds and, you know, and the, the hospitals are at capacity. And it's not only the beds, it's like we're running out of doctors and nurses yeah. and yeah. physicians assistants. And I mean, we're just, I feel like we're just burning those people out by, you know, all the people who are not wearing masks and not taking the distancing seriously. And I mean, it, it's going to be a tough four weeks here, I think. And speaking of healing and therapy, I am really hoping, you know, similar to there was a fund for people who were a part of 9-11 afterwards i'm first response i'm hoping that there is therapy and resources available to these healthcare workers who are on the front lines throughout this experience yeah yeah absolutely amen the other thing you guys are talking about we're turning the corner (laughs) there is some truth to the fact that we're turning the corner you know i mean we have vaccines coming out you know we, we we understand it a little bit better every day um Everybody just stay strong and wear a mask and and we'll get through this, but it's going to be a tough, 
it's going to be a tough couple of months, I think. And now, highfalutin arts. In the arts, this this last couple of weeks, there's there's been some interesting news. The um, saw that old Bob Dylan sold his uh, entire uh, catalog for uh, $300 million. Uh, he's certainly going to be well-heeled a- after that. Um, and that was interesting to see. I saw his catalog is 600 songs spanning six decades, which is, that's quite a body of work. Um, so that, that was interesting to see and kind of mixed feelings about that, I think. Um, the, uh, yeah, go ahead. Tell me, why tell me why your feelings are mixed on that. Because I, well, I, I you know, I think everybody likes to see the ownership of somebody's artwork reside with the creator of the artwork, you know? Um, and you, you see, like you see artists who's, who's, who lose control of their work and you see that work get used in ways you think is unattractive or like, you know, like nobody likes to see like, you know, a song they love and like a stupid commercial, you know, and like, like a Rita Franklin for Walmart. Yeah, exactly. Like, are you going to start to see blown in the wind for like, you know, you know, like lawn care products or something, or, you know, I don't know. Um, that would be, that feels like it would be a bit of a shame, you know, but um at the same time, the guy's 80 years old. He's got six decades of work in the bag and he can do whatever he wants with it, I suppose. So I've, uh, we talked about this briefly because I, I struggle with it's, uh, the same in the, the sense that I've always taken up artists, my favorite artists being Prince, and it's just like this big struggle to maintain the ownership of your work. Um, so I just wonder, I mean, is that just a retirement plan, him selling it? I mean, and if that's the case, it's his. I mean, I mean at least he's selling it. And I, and I guess that's a, that's a win or, or point of interest. But it just it, it, uh, strikes me in such a way that it's like, wait, did you have to sell it? Like, I don't know. It strikes me as very odd. Well, I mean, wouldn't you want your family to maintain that? I don't know. Maybe he wanted his family to have three hundred million dollars more. But I mean, they would have much more than that in the future because somebody obviously thought they could buy it and make more money from it. So, I also wonder if maybe his family has enough money. They're like, hey, because from his career, you know, they're like, eh, we're good. <laughs> you know, we're good. He's like, I don't know how much, like, you know, I mean, it feels a little weird to speculate, but I don't know how much dough he really has. You know, I mean, like the publishing certainly, you know, would pay him pretty well. But, you know, like he hasn't, like, when was the last time Bob Dylan had like a number one hit? Like, did he ever have a number one hit? You know, like, I mean, it, when was the last time the Rolling Stones had a hit? Does it mean they're not loaded? Well, but the Rolling Stones like had a lot of hits he's still, he was still touring and stuff right he was but I, you know he's touring like ballparks and i think like foot in the bill for a lot of those tours you know, like in ballparks like minor league ballparks like not like <laughs> you know um he had the never-ending tour and you know i love bob dylan when i've gone and seen him several times and take my dad's a big fan and i take my dad when he's in town but i don't think those shows are like i don't think he's raking in dough with that tour maybe i'm wrong you know but the um maybe he just wants to stop the never-ending tour and you know relax yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's his decision. So, you know, uh, you just hope he's of, uh, you know, good mind. And that's the, you know, he's not being influenced in any kind of negative way. And that's just what he wanted to do. It's their own. Um, I just, it just struck me as odd. Yeah. You know, you also hear um, Taylor Swift is recording all of her old material. I think she unfortunately thing. lost control of that. Exactly. Um, it's like that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, but she's much younger. So it's, yeah. The um, 
other thing in the arts that I think was was big news in, in the last couple of weeks was the uh, Warner has, has announced that they're going to be streaming all their all their movies now. Um, that's interesting. That's a giant shift in the in the industry there, and you'll wonder how you know what's going to happen to all those movie theaters, and or are they going to survive? Is are they going to go away? Um, yeah, it feels kind of sad to me that the, that's the choice they're making. However, it also gives people access, I guess, more access to, to that kind of stuff. But you'd hate to see, uh, I would hate to see the, the theaters die. I, well, I mean, I, I think sometimes, you know, I'm old enough to see a lot of my favorite places close down. And, you know, sometimes it's just time. Um, obviously, uh, it's been spurred on by uh, COVID, but, you know, as somebody that goes to the theater maybe once a year, twice a year, I, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's like I, I, so your your point is you're you're taking the position it's time for movie theaters to die. That's what your <laughs> that's your position. You know, I hey, every, everything's got its limits, right? I mean, there was a time when everybody saw sports on you know in person, and then they saw it on the radio, and now they you know most. More people, I would, if you ask, more people would prefer to watch the game on TV than they would to go to the stadium. But they, well, they didn't stop having people at the stadium. You can still go to the stadium if you can afford the yeah. well, not this year, giant man. wad of dough to buy a ticket. You know? yeah. I just, I, I think, it, I think it's, t- I, first of all, I think it's awesome for Warner Bros. to do that. I think it's a little bit uh, too late to the party. And, uh, I think you're going to see a lot less theaters and I don't think there's any kind of problem with that. I think theaters have been a bit movie theaters. I think have obviously been threatened by streaming for a while, but they've had the, you know, luxury of obviously initial releases and even larger screens. Remember back when the day when they first came out, people had TVs that were all black and white and like really small, you know, now people can have screens in their living room that are the size of home theaters. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of the um, theaters that we go to, like they combated some of that, like they started serving beer in the theater and they have reclining Mm -hmm. seats and like, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. And that's, you know, that's nice. It makes it kind of a nice experience. You mean like the stuff at your house? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we don't have reclining seats at home. right? (laughs) I mean, you could, you could, it's it's not unattainable. A mic drop for the show. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> um, Ryan you know, hates speaking, movie theaters. I know. I know. All about I just, it. I just. I mean, it's a nice thing to do when you're looking for something to do. Um, I like remember when a big film comes like out, going to escape the heat, like air conditioned, and you got the food and stuff, and you know, a big movie you've been waiting to see and stuff. But <clears throat> that just doesn't. It's just not a part of my life so much anymore, and I just don't. I don't, I don't, I don't think um, many people are much different. If you could just stream it, I mean, people get more excited about the stuff that they're streaming than any movie I've heard of in the last couple of years. Yeah. So, one of the other interesting things is that the strange, like pendulum swing, is that we've gone to two drive-ins, you know, since COVID started, which is interesting. And kind I of think fun. that's great. I was going to use that analogy as well because it's like you know we all grew up with drive-ins, but like. You know, I'd never been to one before COVID. The, uh, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. 
but the uh, we saw right before Thanksgiving, we saw planes, trains, and automobiles. The uh, oh god, I just saw that. It's such a classic. It is. It is. Although I, I didn't remember. Like I like Steve, me. Steve Martin's character is kind of a jerk in it. Like, oh yeah, he's totally a jerk. That's the point. Yeah, yeah. Like I didn't remember that as well. I guess in my my most recent viewing, I was like, Steve Martin's kind of a dick in that movie. I just I just watched it, and it's like that that John Candy line was about to you know Steve Martin goes off on him, and he's tearing up. He's like, I like I like me. Yeah, John Candy, man, gone too soon. He was. It was, so it was great acting by both of them, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I've got to watch that. But we watched Home Alone. We showed Lincoln for the first time. John Candy's in that too, as you know, poker player. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Did as well. I, I haven't seen that in years. And there's a Trump cameo too. Oh, yeah. for the second one, Home Alone in uh, oh, New York. Right. There's a Trump cameo. I was like, what did, what did uh, your son think of uh, Home Alone? He thought it was funny. He liked yeah. it. He was like, oh, so funny. Well, the slapstick is, you know. Yeah, very cartoonish. Because I was like, wait, he just pulled n- nails out of his face. Shouldn't there be blood? And Steve was like, it's cartoonish. They aren't going to show blush gushing blood. I was like, you're right. Speaking <laughs> of holiday movies, did you see that Apple bought the rights to the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas special? There's and been like, a lot of controversy and anger over that, including by me, because I would like to watch them and I don't have Apple TV. There's been well, a lot of like you controversy. Can, you can do a trial with Apple TV and they're offering it for free. I don't need yeah. Apple TV. I have Hulu and Netflix. And I know. I don't Prime. want the Apple it's TV. It's like, I'm either. like, a, yeah. That, this is what happens when people sell their rights. There you yeah. go. Uh, Pretty soon Bob Dylan's stuff is only going to be on, you know, Fox Radio or whatever. Yeah. For a Prince, for a while, Prince was only on title. Yeah, right, right. You see, it's, uh, that's what, what happens when it turns into commerce. Yeah. yeah. It's for sale. Um, but I was sad about that too. I mean, that, that seems like a national tragedy that Charlie Brown Christmas and the Halloween special, I believe as well, is not on, uh, you know, CBS or ABC. I look forward to that when I was a kid, you know, like they'd have it one night, like it'd be a weeknight, like a Tuesday. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I still, as an adult, you just kind of, ah, tune in. But um, yeah, that's the way of the world. I wanted to show Lincoln this year. Exactly. But it's still, speaking of those shows though, um, there are a couple shows that I've finished since our last episode that have been good and relieving. So I did want to recommend them. The Great British Baking Show's recent episode. They're so nice to each other there. It's just like, you know, <laughs> someone's doing badly and they're like, how can we help, you know? And yeah. there's no like animosity. It's awesome. And then we just finished Queen's Gambit last night. So if you have anyone who hasn't seen that. that we have cool. one episode, I think, left of that. The uh, Queen's Gambit, you know, that was written by Walter Tevis, the book. The um, mm-hmm. And he's the guy who wrote The Hustler and The Color of Money. And uh. Uh, he also wrote The Man Who Fell From, and Who Fell to Earth, which was, they made the end of that David Bowie movie he's a very kind of interesting writer and i was very sad to read the um because like i i i love queen's gambit i think it's terrific the i think that actress in it is terrific and uh, the stories are super fun and i'm a chess nerd so I, I love it the um i was reading an article like somebody was talking the a nurse who took care of walter tevis at the end of his life said he died like a very bitter like angry old man hmm. And it's stuff sad for me to hear. Like, you know, he's written a couple of my, you know, The Hustler is one of my favorite movies of all time with Paul Newman and Jackie Gleason and the uh, classic. And, um, and we were so enjoying Queen's Gambit. And it's like, what a, you know, what a talented guy. And I started to do a little research on him. I was like, oh, that's kind of sad. Um, yeah. But anyway, that, I highly recommend Queen's Gambit. And that's been, we've been yeah. enjoying that and looking forward to it. And that's, you know, that's one of the ways that, that people are, um, trying to get through this this pandemic yeah. right is that they're, they're they're taking some solace in the arts and some comfort in the arts um 
you know, I, I don't know if it's it's healing, right? But it's definitely it, it definitely helps pass the time. And, distraction. Uh, yeah, it's a distraction. It. The um, yeah, the other thing that Alicia and I have been watching that's that's kind of silly, but I love it. Is um, the BBC has a Three Musketeers like live action series, huh. and um, it's you know it, it's a little bit campy, right? The uh, it's like Three Musketeers, but um, I love those Dumas books, and it's been super fun to watch the uh, you know like sit down to dinner and watch the Three Musketeers episode. It's fun. Cool. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. The uh, Ryan, any uh, any shows or uh, books you've been taking comfort in here during the uh, pandemic? You know, not really. Um, some old movies uh, that I've seen a million times. I don't know what's wrong with me. I got that like Teletubby media problem where I will just watch the same thing over and over. I don't know what that is. What's everybody's favorite Christmas movie of all time? Monica? Mm. You know, I don't know if I have a favorite, but I, I feel Die Hard is a good holiday movie. <laughs> wow, good one, good one. It's an action one. It's around the Christmas season. It's, you know, there's camaraderie, there's bad guys it's really the one i can think of yeah ryan how about you i was gonna go with that one i thought that would be kind of shocking but it's not um uh somebody mentioned like trading places i like but i would probably i probably like to like the one i pass up often uh that i that was a kind of iconic when we were kids uh is gremlins oh sure sure i can't bring myself to watch it because i there's just aspects of it that are so mean. I just don't like it. I just like, I, I almost turn on the other and it's just like, I, it's kind of scary, sad. I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. So I, like, I, yeah. I avoid gremlins at all costs. That's a good one. Dude. I haven't seen that since I was a little kid. I don't think. The, uh, yeah. And I remember they tortured like Gizmo and stuff. It's awful. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad. And those the mean gremlins are horrible. I'm saying, like, yeah. it's like it's, they did some really mean stuff. I remember that they were there. Yeah, they were, yeah, that's too scary. I, uh, I think my favorite all-time Christmas movie is Scrooged with Bill Murray. Oh yeah, I love oh, that. That's a good, yeah. That's hilarious. Oh well, I like Christmas Story with uh, Ralphie. I mean, well, that's, you already answered. Oh, that I'm is sorry. a good one. Though. Yeah. See, that's why I said there's no one. Like, it's just there's a lot out there. Well, for me, it's Scrooge. It's a clear winner. <laughs> I also like Christmas Vacation, but that's in second place. Fudge. Except I didn't say fudge. <laughs> right, right. That's a great one. <laughs> the um. All right. Then follow up. Follow up question. Bonus question. Favorite Christmas songs. Oh. Or do you just despise the genre in general? I despise the genre. Oh, come on. No, I'm not serious. Like, I, it, it's not that there's not good Christmas songs. There's, there's plenty of them. And there's very, I mean, when you have a talented singer, I've heard, you know, renditions of, you know, great songs by uh, all kinds of people. Uh, but I, I, man, I don't like Christmas music. Because it's the same ones. It's the same, they're standards, you know? And just like it's annoying. I, think, I I like them. I like the upbeat ones. I think there's one that people always make fun of a little bit. Um, Baby, it's cold outside. It's referred to as a date rape song. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which if you listen to it, it's sort of like she keeps trying to leave, and he's like, "No, have another drink. Come on, it's cold." And you're like, "This is like really not cool." Uh, yeah, I'm sure that you like that life. that date rape song. I, I, I said I didn't I, like it. It's just it keeps coming up every time you hear it. You're like, this is not a good song. I'm sure I could find some that I like. Uh, there's some that I do like, but um, 
if Christmas music uh, didn't happen, I'd be perfectly okay. I, you know, I'm a Beatles fan, and uh, I really like the uh, Beatles Christmas songs. There's three of them. The uh, there's the Paul McCartney simply having a wonderful Christmas time. That's not. No, I don't think I've heard Paul McCartney. Synth classic. Synth. Is that Wings? Is it Wings? I think it's just Paul McCartney. I'm not sure. I don't think it's Wings. It's just. I agree. I think it's Paul McCartney. Yeah, there is the John Lennon one. The uh, um, Happy Christmas War is over. You know, War is over if you want it. That one. You guys know that one, right? Come on. I don't know. And then George Harrison has a great one called, uh, um, I think it's called Ding Dong Ding Dong. It's, you know, ring in the new, ring out the old. It's great. I'm going to cut me singing that because it was terrible. But the, uh, <laughs> I'm very fun. And then there's also the Donny Hathaway has a great one that I like a lot. The, uh, that's like a nice soulful Christmas song. The, uh, what about uh, Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer or uh, anything by uh, Elvin and the Chipmunks? <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. This I enjoy Christmas, the this jazzy. That's pretty much how I feel about all Christmas music. I enjoy the jazzy kind of tunes. Like I turn on, you know, the radio. It gives me, makes me a little cheerful to listen yeah, to them yeah. on right now. I also picked up a uh, Sinatra Christmas album that we've been listening to a little bit. I like that. I, lo- I love uh, music. So there's definitely great ones. But yeah, I, I, it's not a genre I, I, I look for. <laughs> well, I have... Uh, during this Christmas season, it's a weird Christmas season. I've been embracing the Christmas music maybe a little more than I have in the past. The uh, I don't know. Brings you holiday cheer. Yeah, like it's one of those things that they can't take away from you. You know. Yeah, well, I can Grinch on that one all day. All right. Speaking of Grinch, did you hear about the uh, the the way the uh, the Grinch went over the live uh, musical Grinch on TV, where they're saying the Grinch was like too. Uh, I heard he was too grumpy. Well, they said he was bumping and grinding a little too much for oh, is that uh, right? programming. Yeah. Wow. Did you hear that, Monica? No, I hadn't. Risky <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> uh, Grinch. Wow. Huh? Yeah. Well, it was uh, a, a guy from Glee, uh, another show I've never seen, um, and uh, he was the Grinch. But apparently, he said he took his motivation from the Joker movie, and. He was doing a lot of thrusting and, and grinding and uh does that really seem appropriate like you're doing a live action version of the grinch and like i'm really inspired by the joker movie <laughs> i hey listen I, i'm not an actor and i don't pretend to be one but i mean you make good sense there man so speaking like i really i was really trying to draw on the uh you know scarface as my uh, influence for my my grinch well, i mean it is a uh clownish character in in some regards so you know who kills people like the grinch doesn't so speaking of the christmas presents they're cartoons man they're all cartoons so speaking of the holidays and other things other than music and movies there have been a lot of great lights out there we went to the botanical garden last friday to see their light show it was amazing they had like fire garden and just some really awesome lights and i think there was also someone i know posted uh, something on TV, they were interviewed actually for the Tribune and it's coming out in the Sunday's paper. I think people, and even I heard it when I went to the, like the garden store the other day to get a wreath, like people are going overboard with decorations this year yeah, yeah. and even starting earlier. And um, because, you know, it's a, again, another escape and enough, you know, people aren't traveling as much, you know, so they're, yeah. 
that we're seeing, we're going to see, I think some pretty cool, you know, setups. We're starting to see them pop up around our neighborhood. It was the same for Halloween, right? I mean, it was like everybody went really kind of all out, which was nice. And like the weather was still nice and it wasn't dark at 430. So we, you know, we would take walks in the evenings and look at all the decorations and it was really nice. The, uh, we're going to do that again next week. Like when more of the Christmas decorations are up going a couple of evening walks with a little, you know, hot wine and look at all the mm -hmm. decorations. I, uh, I, I concur. Uh, I'm not the biggest of uh, Christmas fans, if you couldn't tell already, but uh, I do appreciate uh, the efforts and uh, the spirit um, that comes from. Um, it's nice. It's like a community thing, you know, it's like, yeah, exactly. a, like he's, exactly. he's trying to bring everybody else in the, in the community a little cheer, you know, it's, it's nice to see. It's, it, I, it does bring me a little bit of cheer. Yeah. Ravenswood is actually having a light walk, I think, the weekend of the 18th. And nice. uh, someone we know is actually on it. So we're going to check out their house. But I'd love, I'm excited to go see that. Yeah, that's fun. It always makes me laugh, though, when people leave up their uh, decorations, like forget about them and stuff. Yeah, I just passed by some pretty, pretty pathetic pumpkins last night. <laughs> I've still got pumpkins out. I debated getting rid of them, but I'm like, they're still good and I like them and they're looking good. So I'm keeping them. And now, highfalutin sports. Given our, our theme of healing, um, I, uh, Matt pointed out a great uh, opportunity to talk about something that I'm quite passionate about, and that is uh, cycling. And uh, this being a uh, very peculiar year, I was able to kind of take advantage of something that I already enjoyed and, you know, make the most of it. Reason being like the roads were free for a while there in the beginning, um, and then, uh, I got really excited and they um, they had closed down the lakefront path, which is 14 miles of lakefront, you know, just gorgeousness that you can enjoy on your bike or running or walking or whatever. And uh, I'm always excited to ride that, but they had shut it down because of COVID because they consider it a park and, it, you know, there's too much gathering going on. But they reopened it. And I remember fondly because um, my mileage picked up uh, – exponentially once they once they opened it back up because i said to myself if they open that thing back up i'm never you know i'm going to take full advantage and i'm going to be on that thing 6 a.m and i pretty much rode that every day for the next three months so i i somebody asked me what i love about cycling so much and i told them and the reason i bring it up in this uh episode is because i find it very therapeutic um very healing it's very comforting. It's exciting. It's exercise. Um, it's just kind of this whole experience that just makes me feel really good. Uh, it's sometimes hard to get out, like any kind of exercise. Um, you know, you got to get dressed and other conditions okay and blah, blah, blah. But then uh, I never, ever regret doing it. I always feel good afterwards. And I always feel like when you are doing something that you almost like lose yourself in, you lose time, really like tapped into something. That's that's when you're really having fun is when you're just like, I didn't even know what time it was. You know, I was just enjoying myself in the moment, I guess is what I'm, the idea uh, that I'm trying to express. And it just makes me feel great. And so that's my, uh, that's my take on sports is uh, cycling um, and, uh, taking advantage of the, uh, the, the world we live in to uh, carve out a little something for yourself. 
Nice. What do you do then during the uh, like the shitty months here that we're about to enter into? Do you use the rollers and like bike inside, or do you? Yeah, I do. Um, I start out the year this uh, year doing that. Uh, something I hadn't done in a long time. But honestly, uh, I hit my mileage goal, which is more than I've ever uh, cycled before in a single year. So I'm actually, uh, and I'm still commuting and to work and stuff and riding on a pretty daily basis. So I'm okay, just kind of chilling for now. But uh, I'm yeah. about to pick it back up um, as we enter into. Uh, new year uh, uh fresh start nice. a lot of people have gotten pelotons or peloton yeah. knockoffs um you know the this pandemic season and love them i'm i'm just i'm not i don't think i'm much into a bike in place you know i've tried it a few times in a couple spin classes and i just i couldn't get it you know like i'm like oh, you know i just couldn't get into it i'd love to get outside bike more i tried yeah. once not long ago but i didn't have gloves and it got way too cold way too soon um yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things you endure um, for things you you love, but, uh, you know, doing it indoors is not the same as doing it outdoors. I mean, for me, it's just kind of maintaining so I don't lose growth when I go back out, but. Um, and I actually, I live right near the Bloomingdale Trail, um, nice. which is awesome to bike. So whenever I do get a chance, I love to kind of go out there and just bike to either end. Something you know, about like that, that freedom you have, you know, the, you know, just uh, in the elements, um, you just see that you see everything from a different perspective on a bike. Um, and I'm just, I, I'm really kind of crazy about it. So I could go on and on, but. We got one of those Peloton knockoffs in our house. The uh, We bought one this year. Um, I yeah, you know, my wife is likes to go to the exercise classes a lot. When I go to the gym, like I don't want to do a class. Like I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want anybody to talk to me. Like I just want to go sweat and get tired and you know. Um, but you know, a lot of people like the classes. So the the one the the one that we got, it's not. It doesn't have like the live classes. It's got a you know, it's like programming. So it's a bunch of pre recorded stuff. So and I actually. Um, you know, we live in the, the third floor of a three flat and we had it delivered and we had it in, on the third floor in my wife's office. And, um, but it was like, when it's in your office, it's like, at the end of the day, you don't want to be in your office, you know? Like, so like, <laughs> like she was, she was like not using it as much as she is now. Cause she's like, I just don't want to work out in my office. I want to get out of the office. So we moved it. Our bedroom is in the attic on the fourth floor. I moved it up to the attic for, and totally threw out my back doing that. Just like, <laughs> like agony. Like it was two weeks of like, couldn't sit down. Like sciatica was killing me. It's just like taking a leave every day. And, um, it's finally getting better. And one of the things that's helped is one of the classes they have that they offer on the Peloton knockoff thing is a yoga class. And I've been doing yoga for the first time in my life. And that's, it's been nice. Like at the end of the day, like, you know, we're kind of done with work. Like we'll go up and we'll just run one of those. And, you know, like the Peloton bike has a TV on it. So it's like they're, you know, a monitor. So the class is coming up through the monitor and we both put our mats down and we kind of do some yoga together. And it's been really, really nice. And it's, you know, it's tough. It's been tough to stay in any kind of shape during COVID, you, you know, in, in um, I find myself like, you know, getting a little out of breath, running up and down the stairs and that's not good. And, um, I've been doing a lot of push-ups and sit-ups, but that doesn't, you know, it's not enough. It doesn't do anything for your cardio. Um, so I got to figure out something there on the cardio. I'll have to start riding the, the bike pretty soon. The yoga is not, an, it's great, but it's not enough. 
You know, Amazon Prime has these great fitness videos that I've been doing. I've been doing nice. yoga, but they also have Amazon Total Fitness and all these hit workouts. So mm -hmm. I've been doing a lot of those, which is great. But I feel like I need a little more. I should try to get out and do walks, but I haven't been able to kind of find the time to do that, unfortunately, during the day. Yeah. I, um, you know, you can find a lot of stuff just free on YouTube as well. Um, sure. When this thing holds, when this whole thing started, uh, uh, the lockdown, it was still cold out. Uh, so I was biking indoors, but I was looking for other things. For, well, first I was finding, you know, like point of view videos and um, that were telling you, it was kind of instruction, um, but more on my, the kind of terms that I liked, because I'm not a big classes person either. I, you know, just kind of want to do my thing. If, if, if I was at my device, I'd just go outside and ride. But when it's cold out, you know, take some instruction and kind of follow a program to a certain extent. And I was doing all kinds of, um, I, was, I tried some yoga and some hit classes and there's a wealth of stuff out there. Um, people love to share. And uh, I advise anybody, you know, just because you don't have the gym or equipment or a bike or whatever, there's still plenty of stuff you can do. I found a lot because I, you know, I had a lot of time uh, and YouTube TV and that was about it, I, my bikes. So I made the most of it and it was, um, it was great. It was, it, it, it was very uplifting and I found it very therapeutic. Um, so I, and I wish that upon everybody because it just makes me feel fantastic. So. I mean, exercise is good for you. I think it's, it is known, you know, and the, uh, when you right. do it, you feel better and, I, and when times are tough, I think it's even more important, right? The, um, the, uh, you got to take care of yourself and some self, some self love and some self healing is, is the order of the day here, I think. And it gets easier when, once you're doing it too. It's all well, momentum, you know, yeah. inertia. So moving on to a, an unhealthier, uh, uh, sports, the, uh, the bears are killing me, man. The Chicago bears are just killing me. The, uh, and I'm, I'm at the point now at that team, blow it up. Like you sell everything. The, uh, everything must go. The, uh, they've lost, uh, what is it? Six straight now. The, uh, that is appalling. Um, in football in general, kind of in, I don't want to say chaos, but it, it doesn't feel like it's in a great place right now. They played that Steelers Baltimore game on a Wednesday afternoon, which is weird. And the, uh, you know, players are dropping. They saw in the news yesterday, the bears had to shut down house hall again. because another player tested positive for COVID. Um, and they seem to be getting through the season, but it's a weird season. A struggling season. Yeah. Also I've seen in the news, there was a report that uh, the NFL has about 8,000 staff players and they've executed about 50,000 COVID tests on, on all of them. But at the same time, interestingly, like our healthcare workers, nurses and hospitals are having trouble accessing tests um, or being told to kind of find their own route to get yeah. testing. So it's just this, again, divide between. Hey, maybe the know. NFL can figure out our national testing strategy for us. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, uh, well, two things. Um, first, um, Monica, that's a, a bigger issue. And I, that's, um, it's unfortunate because I mean, at the end of the day, it's just entertainment. Um, and, uh, although I enjoy the hell out of it, I, I think it's, um, if, if I, people should not suffer for football <laughs> other than those that signed up to do so. Other than Bears fans. <laughs> well, you signed up for that. Uh, the thing is, is that, you know, the NFL doesn't see it the way you guys do. Um, 
or that you express here. And all the media I watch, a lot of uh, is about football. They see themselves as getting it done. They see it as like, uh, well, you know, we had this problem and we had this problem, but hey, look, we're still in, you know, we've gotten three fourths of the season done. You know, I don't, I didn't think they should play personally, but um, I do enjoy that they are. But it's pretty obvious that things are going to happen and they're going to continue to happen, uh, especially as things spike. You know, 49ers can't play in their own state, you know. Teams playing, uh, there's games on every day this week because of uh, tests and, and uh, how do you say, uh, postponements. I would like to see uh, less people in the stands. <laughs> I would too. And you could see it, um, it, it happens, it's geographic, right? So mm-hmm. where you travel south, especially in college, they're, you know, you would know the difference almost. Our south is Notre Dame. That was bad well this big football school you know yeah, what do they yeah. football? But i don't think it's i don't think it's i mean I, I see i know the point you're making but i i don't think it's all the south's fault you know what i mean the uh, like i'm not saying that all yeah. i'm saying is that you see whereas the sec the uh, southeastern conference like we're playing we're playing we're playing we're playing and they've yeah. you know they've gotten off in you know, games at this week at this point um whereas in the big 10 and the pac 10 uh the midwest and the West Coast, they were like, yeah, let's take a moment. Let's, you know, think about this. And they're changing the rules so they can compete with those Southern teams that did not take a break. Uh, Notre Dame being one of them, um, even though they're in the ACC. You know, it's uh, at the end of the day, it's, this is about money. Uh, and that's uh, what people have to realize is that th- these games are being played because there's a lot of money at stake. Correct. Um, and they're putting at, at the college level, putting kids at stake, uh, lives at stake, um, their health at stake, at least. And the kids can argue that they want to play, but they're kids. <laughs> um, and they have to go back to campus. They don't have the, the protocols that the NFL and the double or excuse me, the NBA can pull off and test people as, as much. And the rosters are smaller and they don't have to go back to their dorm rooms. <laughs> where in many cases the kids other kids are on campus because of covid so yeah it seems absurd to me that colleges are doing that right now but uh, you uh, know coach uh, Strzeski, coach k you know yeah. so i'm not sure so sure we should be doing this mm-hmm. all right well anything else uh, uh catch anybody's uh interest in the world of sports here I would like to share that uh, breakdancing will be in the 2024 Olympics in Paris, Finally. which I am actually fairly excited about. <laughs> Finally. That's fantastic. The, uh, do you get to use cardboard or no? <laughs> I think they probably have slicker surfaces, I maybe, suspect. Maybe, you know. Maybe. I can't wait Are to see Are there other forms of dancing in the Olympics? I don't think so. I don't know. There's like ice dancing, so. you know. <laughs> and rhythmic gymnastics. Yeah. I'm not trying to say that breakdancing isn't athletic. But nah, maybe I'll be a traditionalist. <laughs> I mean, it's more culturally, uh, you know. Uh, These kids with their uh, break dancing. Yeah, and it's trying to involve, you know, diversify. That's a good thing, I suppose. But it's still dancing. Dancing is athletic. Yeah. I'm not saying dancing isn't athletic, but Olympic athletic. I mean, there's some. There's a few weird Olympic events, aren't there? Quite a few. Yeah. 
Why my not? Favorite, my favorite weird one is the biathlon. <laughs> yeah. it's like, we're going to ski and shoot. I know. <laughs> we're going to stop, ski, shoot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know. And now, ending on a high note. I suggested healing because I thought it was a good way for me to move forward. Um, things are going to be, you, you can only control what you can control. And I, I uh, when I think about healing, I think about therapy and I think about um, the things that I can control and that's my actions and my thoughts. And um, it all starts, if you want to see change, you have to uh, create it yourself. And I guess the easiest way to do that is to try to reach across the aisle so to speak, and um, make a greater effort to understand things that you don't currently. And that reminds me of the Gandhi quote, be the change you want to see in the world, which is a great quote that I also try to subscribe to. So a couple of things that um, I was excited about. So the earth, as you may know, has taken a big hit during this administration. And as you may have seen, John Kerry was assigned to sort of address climate in the new Biden administration. I did just read the other day that the elephant population in Kenya is growing and the tiger yeah. population in India. So this is just proof that the conservation efforts and anti-poaching efforts in particular in Kenya are working, which is really great to see. So. That's a good, good high note for the earth. I like about share freeing that elephant too. Did What's you hear that? What? Share helped uh, lead the effort to free that the, they called the world's loneliest elephant. Oh, share helped that elephant. <laughs> I God did not. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't heard that story? No, I have to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> so there was this elephant in India that's like pathetic zoo, and uh, it was in there with its mate. And the mate died like in 2012 and the elephant just like kind of was, you know, very sad and kind of always head in the corner, just like visibly sad. And it was just like kind of this viral thing and they called it the world's loneliest elephant. This is heartbreaking. This better turn around for ending on a high well, And so Cher took up the cause. I, you know, it's sad that it takes a celebrity to do this kind of stuff, but uh, she kind of headed up the cause and got money together and they, uh, they just transported the elephant to a sanctuary wow. um, and uh, they could already see where the elephant uh, emotions improved. I love that. I actually just looked it up and it looks like she's now turning her sights to the last remaining gorilla in Thailand. Yeah. God, between That's awesome. Cher and, and Dolly Parton, is there anything? Man, celebrities are going to save us. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I really don't like this uh, like celebrity aspect of it, but <laughs> I know, I know, but, I know. I mean, they, do, they do bring attention and, you know, I guess that's yeah. a good and that segues actually really nicely to like we've seen our ex-presidents like Clinton and Obama and um, uh, George George Bush um, are all willing to take the get the vaccine live on TV and they've actually I've heard some yeah, they're going to get the real one. Well, yeah. And I've actually heard some, they're thinking about how to reach sort of the larger audience with the vaccine. And they're talking about getting like celebrities or like not even celebrities, but like TikTok celebrities, you know, or like these social media celebrities yeah. that have influence to, you know, get it and promote it. Michael Che made a joke about that on Saturday Night Live over the weekend. He said like to reach, you know, the maximum possible number of people like the Obama is going to do it on MSNBC and, and uh, Bush will do it on Fox and, and Clinton's going <laughs> to do it on browsers yes yes i i forgot the punchline yes i see that that was funny <laughs> my uh my the, my favorite thing i saw all week the um 
obviously the va- the vaccines are moving forward, right? The uh, you see that they gave that first vaccine to that ninety one year old lady and yeah. grandmother in the in UK. England. The um, there was an onion headline that came out after that that had a picture of her like slamming a beer, and it's like ninety one year old grandmother feels invincible after taking the, the first vaccine. <laughs> Yeah, but it's so great to see, you know, that start to move forward and to get this little glimmer of light on the horizon here that, hey, you know, we can turn the corner on this thing and it's just a matter of time. And if we just, if we just stick to our guns and do the right thing here, we can get out of this, you know, and uh, that, that uplifted me this week. Yeah, I heard an interview with uh, that, that woman who got the vaccine and they were like, what do you say? What would you say to other people? She's like, go for it it's free. I mean, in England, it is, you know, she's like, it's free. And it's your part. She's like, go for it. <laughs> I love great. it. I love it. Yeah. The, uh, and you know, th- that's, it's going to, those people, the first people who get the vaccines are going to be, you know, elderly people, high risk, and it's going to be people with, you know, conditions and then they're going to lead the way for us. And, uh, I guess they're going to be the canaries in the coal mine. <laughs> Maybe a, a skeptical way to look at it, but uh, it's so great to see, you know, these these trials getting positive results and and starting to be distributed to people. And um, there have been yeah, some pretty nice. bleak moments during this this COVID thing, and you know, it's it's nice to see the light at the end of the tunnel here. Do you guys feel that you would take the vaccine? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think uh, when I heard about the uh, number of African Americans willing to take it being very low um i made up my mind that if i can if i can make it happen that i definitely want to do that for whatever symbolism that might be um because it does kind of concern me i think it's i think it's everybody's duty to do so if you can thank you for listening to the highfalutin podcast please make sure to check our website highfalutinmedia.com for more episodes and related content